we had one large uh, mortality event here in, in March of last year. I was present myself. Uh, I, I've seen two or three of those myself from beginning to end, if you will. It is a very, very sad sight to watch. And I think one of the things that is frustrating is that you, you're not able to do much about it once it starts. Welcome to RAS Talk, the podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTAC Magazine, the premier publication for recirculating aquaculture systems professionals. This episode is sponsored by OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Jean Coden, and I'm the editor of Hatchery International and RASTAC Magazine. I'm happy to be back with my co-host, Brian Vinci, the director of Freshwater Institute. How's it going, Brian? Going well, Jean. Uh, I'm still thinking about last episode. Um, every time the news reports about how many days the war in the Ukraine continues, um, I think back to that uh, episode with Lubomir and uh, Merman's Place, you know, their 500-ton RAS shrimp farm. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this episode with uh, Johan Andresen um, and hearing from an old friend. I've known Johan since he came over um, from Norway after selling uh, Villa Organic uh, in 2010. And I don't really get a chance to talk with him much nowadays. So I'm hoping to hear about uh, the latest and greatest from Atlantic Sapphire. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as Brian said, today we talked to Johan Andreasen, CEO of Atlantic Sapphire, to share with us the company's own journey with large-scale RAS. And um, I think for me, it's been a real lesson in the economies of scale as it pertains to the industry. And Atlantic Sapphire is one of those companies that are taking those challenges on boldly. Um, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, I mean, the, the big focus with Atlantic Sapphire is scale. And, you know, when we talk with Johan, we'll talk a little bit about the challenges associated with growing Atlantic salmon um, in brackish water on land in Miami. And it's clear to me that scale is a huge issue and a challenge that they've had to face. You know, Johan recently was in the news about um, essentially warning folks that uh, the, the there are massive challenges with land-based salmon at scale. And uh, although, you know, we first at the Freshwater Institute proved out land-based salmon um, from egg to uh, grow out size, you know, five kilos in freshwater back in 2008, uh, we were only doing it at uh, a small scale, uh, 20 tons per year, head ungutted. And what's going on at phase one in Atlantic Sapphire at close to 10,000 tons is just another beast entirely. So. Um, you know, scale is, is the huge, no pun intended, is the huge uh, focus. And I think, you know, once the team at Sapphire uh, really nails down the operation of their large scale facility, um, improves out their business plan, then I think it becomes a model for others to look at, including the huge salmon farming companies like Movi and Grieg and Cermat. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Please enjoy the RAS Talk podcast with Johan Andreasen. Welcome, Johan, and thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, let's get right into it. Um, 
being the first or uh, being a pioneer for anything is not an easy road. And Atlantic Sapphire knows this more than most. Um, 2021 was a, an eventful year for you and for the company. So in your own words, Johan, can you tell us about uh, what took place last year in terms of the mass mortalities? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I think 21 was unusual uh, in our company where, where basically everything that could go wrong went wrong. Uh, and um, you know it's it's a it's a long it's a long story you know but uh, basically uh, with, with reference to the mass mortalities um, that was one one of the issues we had other issues as well um, first of all I think um, the first thing that happened last year was that we lost our chiller plant in the Miami facility right and when you are raising fish in in in, in the tropics uh, to uh, in particular salmon you, you need to be able to cool the water so that was kind of the first thing that that happened um and um we had a farm full of around three thousand tons of uh, of fish at the time uh and we we hauled in uh, external chillers trailer chillers from across america to hook that up to our heat exchangers across the facility and i think it was a uh, uh, quite a miracle that we were able to do that in a in a in due time so that we, the, we could keep the fish alive uh, so that, that that was the first setback we had but obviously uh, uh, because of the disruptions in the farm related to that event uh, we had suboptimal conditions right uh, too high temperatures uh, as an example uh, we, we saw the, the consequences of that later on um, particularly in in uh, increased maturation of the fish um, as it as it grew further so then uh, talking about the mass mortalities we had one large uh, mortality event here in in march of uh, of last year uh, i was present myself uh, and I, i've seen two or three of those myself from 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 beginning to end if you will so it, it is a it is a very very uh, sad uh, sad uh, sight to watch and uh, I think one of the things that uh, it has, well, is frustrating is that you kind of feel um, a little bit, um, uh, you, you're not able to do much about it once it starts. Uh, that, that, and that is kind of the most frustrating thing. Uh, uh, what has caused these things historically in our company, we have had a few of them, unfortunately, both in Denmark and, and in the US, is, is basically a chain of events. The, the, the true root cause of these things starts um, before the actual mortality starts. Um, it can be as simple as um, uh, maintenance in, 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 in certain parts of the system where you disrupt, you, you disrupt or change the water hydraulics in the farm, for example, that is releasing uh, particles or, or sludge or, or changing the way water moves around. Uh, you swipe up dirty water uh, that causes, for example, a spike in H2S. Um, and that is one of the things that separates saltwater ass from freshwater ass is that we live in an environment that has a tremendous amount of sulfides that can potentially turn into to this lethal gas, right? So the risk picture is very different on saltwater ass versus freshwater ass so 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 you you, you then you, you would then get initial initial mortality uh, um, we have six tanks uh, or at least historically we have had six tanks hooked up to one ras uh, so you, you can see mortality in one tank 
just you know a few hundred fish or a few thousand fish and then but that, what that is is triggering is further disruptions to the system uh, for example um if 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 the if the initial mortality starts to 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 disrupt the water flow the the, the outlet of the tank to, to the extent where you have to reduce the makeup water that eventually you know uh, trickles down to the other tanks and then you you, you start to see in the mortality in the neighboring tanks and and eventually you you, you kind of lose flow and then you the, the remaining fish basically dies as a consequence of the first fish dying yeah we, we, uh, we have very expensive uh, lessons learned learned from uh, and we have done a lot of uh, modifications to, to our systems to to reduce the risk uh, first of all to reduce the risk of the root causes happening, uh, but also to to better be able to manage what I call the initial mortality, right? So we did some center drain modifications so that the, we can have a few tons of, of dead fish in the tank and still keep the flow going. We have also split our RAS systems so instead of having six tanks uh, in one, you know, water body, we have we have three tanks in one, and we have also done. Uh, we have established internally in the company what we call the facilities uh, operation board, which basically every time we need to do something uh, into our system that is not covered by a standard uh, operating procedure, uh, the board uh, that board kind of has to do a risk thorough risk assessment of that activity uh, to to reduce the risk of of these of these events. So. Uh, yeah, it, it has been a massive amount of learnings here um, and uh, very expensive learnings, but we feel now that we we are much better suited to operate it, this with a much lower risk of this happening. So 2021, we, we had a big one in Denmark as well as you, you're probably aware of in, in July. Um, I want to take you back to that, the Blue House facility, you said you were there, right? Um, can you take us back in terms of how quickly did the team have to react? What was going through your mind in terms of um, what the plan of attack will be or the reaction to these incidents? So when this happened in Miami, we, we, this, had ha this had, has happened before here. And basically, I, I wouldn't say it's all H2S, right? But H2S has been present at some point during these events, in, in all the events that we have had. So, so, so we, we immediately think H2S when this is starting to happen. Uh, and we try to keep the, the facility as calm as possible, you know, remove carefully removing the morts uh, without making noises or further stressors to the fish. And obviously one, one measure that we, we have learned more and more to use is actually to play with water chemistry. So we would uh, increase pH uh, in, the, in the water because the toxicity of H2S goes down with higher pH. So that's also one of the things that we have done is that we have um, upgraded our pH dosing system so we can very quickly react uh, increasing the pH to, to, to in an attempt to, to stop the mortality. But basically, uh, I would say from the, from the beginning, so, so basically you 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 then it's all all uh, all men all men on deck basically you you bring in people at the same time as you're trying to keep your head calm and do the right things and not panic uh not create more disturbance than, than necessary and, and and work with the things that we know we can 
have an impact on. Uh, but obviously, once these are big systems that we are running here, we have six to seven hundred tons of biomass uh, in in a in a system. Uh, so at some point, it becomes unmanageable for people uh, to to deal with it, and um, it, it is it's a big psychological roller coaster for those involved. I, I come from the netpen industry, so I have seen a lot of mortalities before uh, in, in netpens, unfortunately, and it's not a pleasant sight. But for a lot of these more entry-level people or people that haven't seen it before, it's it's actually a quite rough psychological roller coaster. And um, you know, typically in, in the incidents that we have had, the, everything is takes about you know 24 hours uh, from 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 the first sight of this happening until it's over and then after it's a long process of cleaning up uh, tanks and, and filters and you know dealing with the mortality. I'm curious as a fish farmer what are sort of the stress management techniques that you have acquired over the years in terms of how to respond to emergencies like this? Well one thing that is really um, really important is, is not to lose your head as I call it you, you need to you really need to stay calm uh, and do do the right things that you can do something about and nothing else because what, if you haven't seen this before or if you have you know lack of experience with, with this you you kind of start to freak out and you start running around and you start you know doing whatever you think is best without actually thinking it properly through and then you can turn things into worse rather than better right so so that is it's it's a joke in the fish farming is if you haven't been part of killing a million fish you are not a proper fish farmer and it's 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 something true in that because you you kind of need to be a little bit thick-skinned to to be a fish farmer because you it's a very operationally geared um industry and just think about it we in the blue house here in miami and with other RAS or land-based facilities you are taking responsibility for these animals every minute of the year uh, for, for uh, you know, the 20 months they are alive before you harvest them, you know, so, uh, and you have to do things right every single minute. Uh, it's not like, you know, in a barn with cows where you, you have a fire in the barn, you open the, the doors and the, and the cow can run out to the field and, and, and survive. These, these animals are completely dependent on us as operators to, to survive and to have a, a good life. So, yeah. So it, it's a lot. It's a lot of things, uh, both from the, the the way that the, the farms are designed to the way we operate them to you know the the parameters that we are tracking, both from water chemistry and and uh, all the the machines and pumps and the electrical components running here uh, to in-depth knowledge about biology and and so forth. So it's 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 a massive undertaking to to. To take care of of these animals and make sure they're safe at all times. Johan, uh, good to talk with you. It's it's been a few years. Um, I think the things you were just saying about uh, your emergency response procedures and some of the protocols you've put in place with a, a board that looks at the risk and um, other um, steps and systems you have sounds like. Uh, a tremendous step uh, towards uh, preventing these kind of things in the future. And, and I commend you for that. And it's uh, emergency response um, is, uh, is complicated. You know, you, as you guys know, you have to have multiple redundancies in place. And 
Um, it's a lot different when you're doing one or two fish tanks than if you have 600 tons of biomass on site and spread over six to 12 tanks. It's a, it's a much more complex beast and, and I can uh, surely empathize uh, with you on that. Um, we want to draw attention to some of the technical details you guys have there at the Blue House. Um, so just a few quick questions, Johan. Uh, species and production capacity for, of course, we know species and like salmon, but what are the production capacities for phase one, uh, phase two, and phase three? Right. So yeah, we are doing Atlantic salmon uh, in, the, in, as you said, in this facility. Uh, the current Blue House, um, the phase one, uh, is uh, an integrated facility from, from hatchery uh, in, in the south uh, eastern uh, corner of the building and, uh, until fillets actually uh, in the in the in the southwestern part of the building. So it's 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 a fully integrated. Uh, uh, facility uh, designed for approximately nine and a half thousand tons uh, head on gutted weight a year of, of salmon at approximately three and a half to four kilo. Um, the, the facility is divided into after the uh, splitting of the grass systems that we have done, uh, it actually has uh, 17 independent grass systems. Uh, so it's 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 a big it's basically multiple farms uh, under one roof, uh, and in in the design we also have additional capacity on the freshwater side, meaning that once we bring phase two online, phase two is a, an incremental fifteen thousand tons head on gutted head on gutted weight uh, in another twelve grass systems. Uh, so phase one can supply all the smalls needed for phase two as well. And uh, the uh, harvesting and filleting line can also uh, handle the phase two volumes. So a total of 25,000 tons uh, as it relates to phase three, uh, that is still on the drawing board. And uh, we have not yet decided how big that's going to be. Uh, it's, it's purely up to us, uh, basically. And we, yeah, we were still in the, in the design phase of that facility. Right. So when phase two comes online, it's um, just grow out and the phase one building will be providing all the smelts for both phase one and phase two. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. In your previous comments, you mentioned how many fish you have in, in one grow out tank. And I, I thought I caught that at 6,000, but I just um, wanted to confirm with you. No. And in, in a grow out tank, we, uh, depending on the, on fish size. Yeah. Um, to, towards harvest uh, weight, we typically have uh, 40 to 45,000 fish in one tank. Okay. But we, we can have up to, in the smaller stages, we can have up to 150,000 fish in the tank. So uh, 40,000 fish at four kilos, uh, that's a lot of biomass in one single tank. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, phase one, how big is that facility on a square foot basis or a hectare basis? It's about 380,000 square feet. Wow. Mm. Yeah. And then when you add phase two, what will the, the total be? Then it's going to be a, a, approximately 2x, uh, around 800,000 square feet. Wow. Just, just amazing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, so far, I've read um, most of the industry reports on how much you guys have invested um, in phase one and, and phase two, but uh, let's get it directly from you. Mm. Uh, what's your um, overall cost uh, so far? You can break it up however you want, phase one or phase two, or uh, how much have you guys spent in capital? 
in Miami. Yeah. Uh, the phase one build out, uh, which includes, you know, a lot of the civil work and the well infrastructure that we have here, um, came in uh, at approximately $250 million. And uh, we expect phase to cost something similar. Uh, so that would be another uh, another 250, right? So 500 combined. Right. Gotcha. Um, uh, it's a tremendous investment to be responsible for. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you guys don't take that lightly. Um, how many staff do you need to run uh, the facility right now? Phase one, um, I guess, is the only one really right now in production. So, so we are, uh, if you, from a headcount perspective, we are approximately 180 people in the company. Uh, the, and out of those, I would say 20, 25 is um, uh, overhead, basically the financial team, the sales team, uh, procurement, etc. cetera. Uh, then we have another 20 people that are engineers and uh, architects, etc. that is on our payroll, that is solely working with the expansion in phase two. Uh, then we have another um, 35 to 40 team members that are solely working with harvesting and filleting uh, of the product. And the, and the balance is basically uh, what we call operations uh, mm -hmm. in form. So you guys are so open about uh, the operations, um, of course, your finances and your reports um, to your stockholders. Um, it, it's so instructive for the industry to learn from uh, what's going on there at Atlantic Sapphire. In fact, I read something recently where uh, you noted that people should not underestimate the risk of, uh, of land-based salmon farming. Of course, um, you know, uh, I think uh, uh, you've been saying that for as long as I've been saying that since 2010 or so. But um, it, is a, it is a daunting challenge and it's further complicated when you go from, you know, 500 tons to a uh, thousand tons and then from a thousand to 9,500. Um, uh, I'm sure that the task is, uh, is immense. Uh, what do you think is, is your biggest challenge in, in managing uh, the phase one at that scale? Uh, no, I think the, the, te the team formation has been uh, one of the biggest challenges, obviously. I mean, to, I mean, first of all, the construction, um, process was uh, painful uh, because we, are, we have we built something at a scale that has never been done before uh, in, in aquaculture. Uh, and we did that in an area where basically no one understands what large scale fish farming is, right? Uh, so, so, and in, a, in, a, in addition to that, we got COVID on top of it and we got uh, delays. We had a quite a large portion of our technology providers that was based overseas. So uh, for multiple months, the, the supervisors couldn't come into this country and, and supervise uh, and get, get stuff built the way it should be built. So, so construction was a big, big uh, uh, challenge for us. And then obviously, uh, even though we brought in experts from Norway and Chile, you know, uh, uh, our ambition has always been to 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 build up local talent, you know, and uh, that uh, the, the, the blue houses in Miami is going to be run by Americans, not by imported people from from uh, from overseas. So 
to bring all these people along and to build a, this, this strong fish farming culture has been a tremendous focus for us. And we are lucky because we have some amazing people here and uh, uh, we, we have a lot of interest when, when uh, we have positions open uh, in Atlantic Sapphire. We get a lot of good candidates from not only locally, but from across the US. US. So, so, so that is that has been a, a big challenge uh, to, to put that all together. I think the average the average time uh, of employment here, uh, or du duration of employment here uh, in, 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 in our company in Miami now is approximately one, one and a half years. So you, you, if you put that into perspective, right? And all these people needs, needs to be onboarded and uh, brought up to speed and to, you know, working together. So, so that has been a big challenge. So apart from the Blue House facility in Florida, we should also talk about the Danish facility. Um, you alluded to it earlier, and um, there was a massive fire that took place in September that also resulted in mortalities. Are you able to give us an update on um, on that facility? Yeah, that that, that uh, facility was totaled uh, in that fire in September of last year. Uh, so everything but the... <laughs> Smalt facility. I mean, uh, both our phase one and phase two uh, buildings there were totaled in that fire, unfortunately. So that was uh, unreal. Um, fortunately, no uh, people got injured or killed during the fire, which is the most important. But also, it's it was it's extremely sad, right? Because all these excellent uh, team members there were watching their uh, workplace burn, literally burn up, right? So. So it, it was uh, it was a yeah terrible night. Um, we at this point uh, we announced that we have agreed with the insurance company and we have gotten the insurance payout for the for the damage. Uh, there are still assets there uh, in place, and I'm I'm confident that there there will be aquaculture and fish farming at that site uh, going forward. Uh, if that's going to be by Atlantic Sapphire, or if it's going to be by some somebody else, that has not been uh, concluded yet. But right now, we in Atlantic Sapphire are very focused on delivering the US, the US plan, and uh, we aim to, for the first time, uh, get into cash flow positive territory later this year. So you mentioned cash flow positive this year. Uh, that's great news. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it and. If you'd like to make some news, did you say you might be growing kingfish in Denmark? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just well, kidding. It, it could it could it could be suitable for kingfish for sure. Yeah. No, um the positive cash flow in 2022. Is, is that correct? Well, not not as a as, as a full year because we are still still gonna still losing money until we reach uh, our targeted uh, standing biomass and uh, biomass gain, right? But if you look, if you look on a monthly basis, once we re reach that level, uh, we have a path to, to to break even and eventually start generating cash from operations in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that, that's excellent. I I know that the share. It's been reported that the share price for you guys has uh, dropped a bit from its high. Of course, the market is down for everybody right now. That's um, hardly anybody can escape that kind of thing. Um, but uh, when you think about uh, your investors, I, I recall that one of your major investors is DMB Bank. Is that still true? No, not not, not investors. It's it's our main bank. So yeah. 
yeah but it's not not from a shareholder perspective they're not yeah. uh, an investor right they they still seem very bullish on the sector I, you know i've read their reports about land-based salmon projects and and the, the reports coming out of them still seem like they're very positive um, why don't you comment on, on how you feel the investors see Atlantic Sapphire, um, especially as you, as you uh, recover from the challenges you've had? I think everyone, uh, everyone is still intrigued by the story. And um, I think uh, everyone agrees that the, the business case is intact and uh, arguably stronger than ever for multiple reasons, including uh, what we see in the, in the world right now with the uh, supply chains and concerns around food security, et cetera, right? Uh, cost of air freight, which is what the competitors needs to deal with, has never been higher. So, uh, and the demand for salmon in, in America is, is increasing um, rapidly, right? So the, the economics around what we're doing is, 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 is definitely there and better than ever. But what people actually want to see now is that they want to see results they want to see that we actually are able to to make money raising salmon in the blue house right and i think that's the by far the largest uh, milestone uh, for us but i think also for the for the for the land-based salmon industry in general like we, we all need a success story right so yeah so that so that is that is what we are focused on here and um, we have never been closer we, we have we now have since last summer uh facility that actually is finished and it works the way it should work uh, so we're able to give the animals the environment that they should should be getting uh, and then uh, uh, that that's what we need to deliver that yeah and uh, you think the investors are seeing that as well yeah they are i mean uh, obviously there is a shakeout some investors are buying and some are selling and uh, you, you know especially if you're publicly traded uh, such as, as us you know we have i think more than eight thousand investors in total so so you know some of them are longer term some some are shorter term and uh, but the, our main large investors are you know very bullish on the case still and and supported yeah, i'd say i don't get as many inquiries about land-based salmon from investors and investor groups as i used to but the ones that I still talk to are um, you know, very much watching the sector in general, watching Atlantic Sapphire and a few other companies and still remain um, interested in uh, placing money uh, into a project. Um, of course, I think you, you guys are really still the only big, big project in the U.S. I, I know uh, Eric at Nordic Aqua has been trying to permit in Maine and California and um, Kingfish Zealand, of course, is looking to start up in, in Maine, and there's a West Coast salmon project out in Nevada, but I'm pretty sure you guys are the only, uh, you know, larger than 5,000 ton facility there is. So still a lot of focus on you guys, and I think, you, you know, you're really carrying the, uh, the water for the industry right now. We're all, um, of course, very much in support of you, Johan, and we hope to see you later this summer. Uh, we'll be uh, down your way in, um, in Florida in August. Kind of feeding off of uh, what you and Brian were talking about, um, because you're a pioneer in this space, especially in the Amer uh, North American front, um, do you feel pressure in knowing that so many people are keeping a close eye on the company and the company's progress? Yeah, of course we feel pressure, but that that was uh, 
that has always been part of it, right? We we knew that we would have a lot of pressure, and we actually, I personally like to have pressure, so I'm I'm not uh, bothered by that uh, actually at all. Um, we we I, for me, I really want to participate to change the industry into a better place. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I, I I'm a former net and salmon farmer. I I did net and salmon farming for more than a decade in in Norway before I moved over here. So. So I think I really think this is uh, a big part of the solution uh, to to raise salmon and seafood in controlled environment closer to the end markets, and uh, we, we will get there. So uh, and uh, I hope I, I welcome other entries as well. You know I think it's space for uh, for um, other players, both big and large. You know uh, and with different species. So uh, I think that America should. As a country, should not import their seafood. You know, I think America is really good at producing beef, chicken, and pork. And I think uh, in the future, America should also make its own seafood. And um, that, that's if we fast forward 15, 20 years from now, I think that's going to be the case. Uh, but it, it takes time. You know, uh, to your point, um, Brian, I, I don't think there are any other large projects here in this country that is currently uh, under construction. Uh, and even if, with everything that I know, after being in landbase for more than 10 years and my team, if, if, if you ask me to, to start in a greenfield in a different location, having all the money that the, I need to do so, it would take me approximately five years to get the first fish to harvest. So, so uh, from my start, right? So, so, so this, this takes time, you know, and I think a little bit, um, uh, there's a little bit over optimism on how much harvest that will come out from land-based uh, in the short, medium term. Um, I actually think it's not going to be much um, five years from now, um, just for a reason that I just shared. But I think further down the road, if you look 10 years, 15 years, 20 years down the road, then I think it can be a lot of, um, a lot of harvest from land-based. And that's a great thought to um, end on. So. Uh... Like Brian said, there are many people out there that are cheering Atlantic Sapphire on and wanting to see it succeed. So thank you so much for your generosity and taking the time to talk with us and share your knowledge. Absolutely, anytime. And uh, welcome down here at any, at any time. We are very open and we like to, to, to show people what we're doing. Another great episode with a very knowledgeable per, um, professional in the RAS industry. So again, I want to thank Johan Andreasen for being so generous with his time and answering all of our questions. Brian, for you, what was the biggest takeaway from that conversation? Well, there's a bunch of really great takeaways from uh, Johan's conversation on the podcast, um, just picking up where he left off, which is, you know, the, the focus of the industry looking to Atlantic Sapphire and their ability to, you know, essentially take on that challenge. Um I think was an important takeaway. In addition, I think Johan's final comments about there will only be a certain amount of production in the short to medium term uh, for land-based salmon projects in North America. It won't be this you know, massive uh, exponential growth, uh, but maybe in 15 to 20 years, once the model is proven out that there'll be other uh, farms uh, in the mix and you know the, the volume of Atlantic salmon grown in the U.S., uh, might get to those hundreds of thousands of annual, uh, of tons of annual production. 
Um, and then I think, you know, my final takeaway has to do with scale as we, we led into the episode talking about the challenges of growing uh, salmon on land uh, at a massive scale at the 10,000 tons of annual production uh, in phase one. Um, you know, clearly uh, that weighs on the on the team there, um, having to uh, address the challenges, whether it's, you know, the chillers having gone out and causing early maturation or, um, you know, a host of other issues. So uh, those are my main takeaways. How about you, Jean? The part that really struck me from those conversations was me, I really wanted to kind of get behind his thought process as a fish farmer. Um, I still consider myself very new to the industry adjacently as I'm part of the industry media. Uh, so talking to him about his thought process in, you know, the emergency response scenario, but also talking about the pressures of being a pioneer in this industry, that was really interesting for me. You know, building on that, I thought uh, one of the important things that our listeners can take away from this is how critical Johan felt building the team was um, for the folks uh, there in Florida. You know, when, when mm -hmm. I asked him about what the biggest challenge was, um, yes, there are some technical challenges, but, you know, he, he ended up on, you know, building the team out, 180 staff members and, you know, 25 folks here and uh, you know, 40 folks here and, and some are you know, still involved in the um, construction side, but, you know, I, I, I felt a sense of, that he had a sense of pride about, you know, the folks having been there a year and a half and uh, building up their longevity at Atlantic Sapphire. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, the fact that he wanted to emphasize the fact that uh, these are all locally grown, locally trained technicians is definitely a point of pride company is only as good as its people, right? So that was a really good, important point for him to mention as well. Yeah, Norwegians are are typically thought of as very good fish farmers, you know, having uh, been pioneers in the industry uh, for near coastal net pens, uh, starting, I think, in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, but you know, who also started pretty early is Canada. I know Brad Hicks is out there and and he's an early pioneer in the Canadian net pen farming industry. And I think he started in the 80s, um, I don't know, with Taplow feeds or, or farming. I can't remember which one. And um, so, you know, the, the west coast of British Columbia um, has uh, over 100,000 tons of uh, salmon farming and net pens. And, uh, you know, their expertise there. And in fact, we worked with a lot of those uh, net pen farmers in the late 90s and early 2000s as they um, migrated from flow through um, freshwater hatchery production to recirculating uh, systems for their smolt production. And uh, they, they actually have some of the, the oldest uh, operating RAS farms, uh, Movies, uh, Big Tree Creek, which I think is called uh, Sayward South. And uh, now, um, uh, some of those folks, uh, tremendous uh, expertise, having run RAS, uh, high-intensity RAS, you know, densities for smolt, uh, 40 kilos per cubic meter and, and higher, um, you know, since 1997, I think. And, and Target Marine, which is now called Northern Divine, another early adopter of RAS technology in the late 90s, uh, growing uh, smolt for stocking in the net pens. So, um, I, I, of course, am... A huge uh, supporter of building the U.S. industry, and and yes, the Norwegians uh, have tremendous uh, experience and expertise. But uh, 
also our, our neighbors uh, in your neck of the woods there in, in Canada have, uh, have tremendous expertise in this area too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and for the listeners, we'd love to know what you think of this episode. We covered a lot of topics here. Um, so please send us a comment. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this episode. As always, our show notes with links, photos, and more extras can be found on our website, rastechmagazine.com slash podcast. If you want to support us, please consider sharing this episode with your network and on social media. You can follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss a new episode. And of course, we want to thank our sponsor, OxyGuard International. Secure, grow, evolve. Improve your production with tailored and targeted technology. Thanks again, Brian, for another great episode. Yep. Thanks for listening, everyone.